the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and 4DC, the world's first end-to-end strategic podcasting consultancy. Hi, everybody. Uh, This is Paul Holmes of Provoke Media, coming to you from Cannes, and we are going to be discussing creativity in ESG reporting. Obviously, what we've seen over the last three or four years is a huge explosion in both interest in ESG from stakeholders and also accountability on ESG from corporations. But I think what my guest and I have both observed is that a lot of the ESG reporting seems to be driven more by the need to be accountable and to fulfill an obligation than it is by the desire to tell an interesting, compelling story. And so I am being joined here today by Hotwire's Heather, co-president, who is going to be bringing her expertise to bear on the topic. But let's start by just, why don't you introduce yourself, tell people why you're here and how long you've been working in this field. Great. Well, thanks for having me. So Heather Kraft, I am the co-president at Hotwire of our North America team. I've been in technology communications since the beginning of my career, so I'm over 15 years into it. And really that intersection point of of tech and creativity and the impact that it has on the world is something that I've had an opportunity to be a part of in a lot of different ways prior to it being really firmly categorized as ESG. And so I'm excited to chat about this. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, the interesting things for those of us who've been around a long time, and i clearly been a lot longer than you have, is that this has gone through a whole sort of rebranding over the last few years. I've been told that I can't really talk about CSR anymore, that that's very passe, but this used to be, you know, corporate social responsibility reporting was a thing back in the day, and now it's ESG. Is that a substantial change or is it just cosmetic nomenclature industry looking for a different spin on something? I think it's a little bit of both. It's sort of broadening of the category. So CSR is definitely a thing still within that, but it sits a little bit below the the ESG umbrella. Social impact is another thing that folks will call it. For me, ESG is the formalization of it and really goes 360 in terms of the audiences that it's important to and gives you an opportunity to more formally not just talk about what you're doing, but have action behind it and a reporting too that holds your brand accountable. I mean, the other thing that seems to have changed is that there is a genuine level of C-suite involvement in this. Now, ESG reporting is something that engages the interest and action of the CEO as well as the PR department or you know somebody with, with CSR responsibility. Absolutely. I think the S in ESG, in a lot of instances where that becomes in the social piece, given everything that's happened globally over the last few years, the expectations of the C-suite are much higher when it comes to their employees, as well as the consumers or buyers of their product. So that that's interesting, because I was going to ask you the extent to which this was being driven by shareholder interest and that stakeholder group in in particular, obviously, we've seen some very big shareholders speaking out about ESG in the last few years and demanding higher standards of accountability. And I think 
those of us who are cynical in nature believe that companies respond much more quickly and with greater alacrity to their shareholders than they do to other stakeholder groups. Is this seen within organizations as primarily an investor communications challenge, or are most of your clients viewing it in a broader multi-stakeholder kind of perspective? I think historically it's been an investor challenge, and in the past two to three years that's changed. It is absolutely a multi-stakeholder, all of the audiences that matter to your brand and to you as an executive leader, both internally and externally, expect you to take action in a meaningful way, have a stance when it's right for you to be authentic as a brand and as a leader, and to, to be pretty clear and and forthcoming with your plan to hold the brand to a greater accountability when it comes over all your efforts around ESG. Okay. Another question that's going to betray my biases and, and hopefully lead us into some of what you want to talk about and what you're bringing to the table in this realm is the fact that this sort of started as a shareholder investor responsibility, the reason that so many ESG reports are dry and boring and the numbers get greater prominence than the storytelling. I think so. Absolutely. It's if you think about investor storytelling overall has had to evolve over the years and ESG reporting from its origin has got a little bit of catch up to do and good brands who are thoughtful about it and understand that it's for more than just that investor community have started to do that and and really think beyond the report. Right. So I'm not being unfair when I say that a lot of the stuff that is out there is dry and uninteresting. What are companies doing to make it more interesting? How are they applying you know, the, the, the standards of creativity that we see around us all the time here at Cannes to something that historically perhaps has not been creative first? Yeah, I think even when you think about the themes of Cannes this week, two of the six hit on ESG, so sustainability and DE&I being those. And so it's instead of starting from your report, it's starting from your overall strategy and communication story that you need to tell as a brand. It's not thinking about it as a annual piece of content that you produce, but an ongoing initiative within your organization and bringing the hero of the story forward, not your brand. That's sort of secondary in, the, in what you're telling. So how do you find a hero? Give me some examples of sort of the work that you've done where you've been able to create that kind of compelling story? Yeah, I think one interesting way, and it's storytelling in a little bit of a different way, Cloudera is a client of ours. They're a data and cloud analytics company. So very B2B, it's right? Na naturally fascinating. Naturally fascinating. Naturally a story that makes sense to all consumers. But part of their mission is about sort of making AI and data and analytics more accessible to all. So as part of that, they partnered with a handful of nonprofits and actually wrote a children's book called A Fresh Squeeze on Data. And so it's about practical problem solving using data and AI along the way. And that children's book has been published and downloaded. I think it's published over 20,000 copies and downloaded a couple million times across the globe and into seven different languages. So it's brought into school curriculum and it's all about sort of democratizing the access to that type of information. Okay. So 
I love that idea. I mean, yeah. I love that approach. I love anything that finds a new way to engage people and get them interested in a topic that they wouldn't, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I think if you said to most people, do you want to read a book about uh, data right. AI companies, ESG, <laughs> they would run a thousand miles rather than, than engage with it. On the other hand, did, did you get any pushback that you were, I don't know, trivializing or, or, you know, making light of a very important yeah. topic. And how do you balance the need to be creative with the need to make this serious, accountable, and, you know, recognize the importance that ESG has in the world and in the business world? Yeah, I think in this instance, it was, if you see the book, if you download the book, if you read it, it's not about Cloudera in any way, shape, or form. It's just about data and how you can use data and AI to solve problems in your throughout sort of real life scenarios that a child may run into regardless of where they are in the world. So I, that's really that hero at the center and the problem at the center, not the brand. And that's right. where you avoid that cynicism, I think, in many cases. Right. Yeah. I wish somebody had given me a book like that when I was about 10, because that's when I stopped listening to math teachers. And, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and went the whole full liberal arts route. And as a journalist, just understanding data is so important now. I think that's a, I mean, that, that sounds like a great example. What about the whole balance between the importance of the topic and creativity? Do you feel like there is a inherent conflict between giving people the facts and the data and the sort of hard, this is the progress we've made, this is the progress we still have to make, and being creative? Because in our business, creative has that, still has that connotation of bells and whistles and, and you know, party, party balloons. I agree. I think that even if you look at some of the stuff that's prevalent and front and center at Cannes this week, a lot of it is heavy content and really interesting conversation and topics but told in a creative way. So I think that the traditional sort of flashbang of creative that you often associated with it isn't what applies here. And really it's about creativity in the way you engage your audiences. So whether that's through new channels that you may not have before, creativity in the way that you share those results and those facts and information. So it might not be just a sort of stale report that sits on the shelf but there's the actual why behind it. And then creative storytelling when it comes to showcasing the beneficiaries of the work that you're doing. Um, I'm, I'm interested in this idea of different channels just because I was looking into ESG reporting for my own purposes and was looking for ESG reports on various big company websites. And I mean, in some cases, it seems like they're just sitting there waiting to be discovered. In other cases, it seems like they're hidden like five levels down in a sort of weird part of the site. Maybe they're sort of under the annual report somewhere rather than being sort of prominently pushed at an audience. So how are you using new channels and, and different media to make sure that the reports are accessible and enticing? Yeah. to stakeholders. I, I think that's a really good point. And really the content of the report, sort of those, those right. critical pieces of information within that are what should be part of your plan for communications over the course of the entire year. It's not just a moment in time. So whether that's an employee initiative that's anchored in 
your E and your environmental efforts that you're doing, often you talk about as a service industry and in a service business, well, how are we, we're not building products. So we're not like cutting costs in a manufacturing line or anything like that. But is it simple things about like the energy usage that we're using? And is there an employee effort around that? And and the role that each employee plays in something like that? Right. that I mean, that's really interesting to me because it seems to me that one of the key audiences for this ought to be the internal audience. It Absolutely. ought to be employees. You know, we've seen survey after survey, I think, over the last 10 years saying that people would much rather work for a company that is driven by purpose that has a genuine commitment to ESG. Do you find that that your clients are coming to you already thinking about the employee audience or is that something that you sometimes have to urge them to pay more attention to? I'd say before 2020, we probably had to urge them toward it. Now it's because it is table stakes and the expectations between everything that's gone on and and really the the great reshuffle of talent that's occurred, it's a non-negotiable. You will be left behind by your employees if you don't engage them in it and make them a part of your plan to go forward. So many of, sort of if you think about Gen X and Gen Z, what drives them is different than what drove previous and purpose and mission tied to the brand is, is core to them staying engaged with your company. What are you finding in terms of the balance between companies wanting to demonstrate that they've made real progress and the potential for overstating, exaggerating? I'm not that PR people would ever do this, of course, um, but, but, you know, sort of engaging in hyperbole. Um, have companies learned not to do that now? I hope so. I absolutely hope so. I think that transparency, authenticity about where you are as a leader, where you are as a brand in context to where you want to go is critical to being successful in any communication strategy. But around ESG, you can't miss the mark when it comes to that. There isn't tolerance for it within the industry. There isn't tolerance for it within your buyer base. How closely do you find yourself working with the technical people inside an organization, you know, scientists and and accountants and and all of those people who are much more data-driven. And is it difficult to explain to them why they need to tell a story rather than just to hand down the facts? I don't think so. I think that the facts they understand innately, but telling a data-driven story is something that you see more of and more frequently. And so being able to make them feel confident in being able to tell a story that's unique to them and demonstrate the role that they play in a brand's overall ESG strategy only broadens the amount of people that you can really connect with when it comes to whether it be across the C-suite, deep into your technical engineer space, and really future talent, ultimately. And it's it's interesting because you know we've seen, I mean, in other fields, the difficulty that experts can sometimes have in connecting with a mainstream audience, whether it's consumers, employees, or in some cases shareholders who are not necessarily data driven beyond just you know the P and L. And I think being able to help those people craft a real story out of data is very important. Are there sort of secrets to really effective use of data in storytelling? I think it's at any point where you can use data to tell a story that has a bit of tension in it, to 
back up sort of the the point that you're making and and really ultimately when it comes to being able to tell a data-driven story for a data-driven audience because if you're talking about technical folks that's often the case it's got to be pretty fact-based but it's it's got to question something for them there's got to be a curiosity that comes along with it i love that idea of tension because as a writer Right. Yeah. What you know about storytelling is that, yes, you need a hero, but you also need an antagonist. It doesn't necessarily have to be a villain. It doesn't necessarily have to be a human being, but you have to be struggling against something. And I often think that companies are, are not clear about what what the antagonist is. And um, yeah. is that something that you can sort of help companies think through? Absolutely. I mean, I think ESG in itself because of what you're talking about, creates really strong opportunity for that tension and that antagonist because of everything that goes on tied to climate change, for example, and then sort of backing your way into that in a way that's backed up by the data that is authentic to your brand values and true to the storyteller gives you that point where you can sort of take a left versus a right when that's what everybody expects you to do. Let me let me ask you about you. You've used the word authentic a couple of times, yeah. and I, you know, it's, it's an industry word that we Absolutely. do tend to overuse. What for you makes an ESG story authentic beyond just being factually true? Right, it has to be more than that. I think that beyond being factually true, it goes back to brand values and mission of the organization. Does it clearly ladder to those? Is it authentic to the executive that's telling it? And sometimes that means that it might not be the C-suite member that you would expect. But if you can't connect to it in a personal way, then you lose a bit of that authenticity out the gate. And so I think that you've got to be thoughtful about who your storyteller is so that no one's sort of standing up on a soapbox. You're really telling a story that's true to who you are and you've got some personal connection to it. And I'm also interested in the way that we've lumped these three things together, right? So, and I understand it. I mean, these are all, to a certain extent, sort of the softer areas of business, environmental, of long-time sustainability. And the social seems to be the softest and the newest of them. And also, in some ways, the hardest to define. In other words, you know, I think we could all look at a company and say, okay, this is what we would like you to be environmentally, you know, starting with first do no harm and then moving from there. The social expectations on companies are much more fluid, right? They're constantly changing. New issues are coming up all the time. I mean, you know, who would have thought three years ago that companies would have to think through their position on abortion again? And now in America in particular, that's clearly a high priority topic. What have you found has changed about the way in which companies think through social issues? And are they still sort of being driven by what they want to engage with? Or are they beginning to understand that there are things that they are expected to engage with, whether they want to or not? Yeah, I think the social piece is is incredibly interesting. And for all of the reasons you've said, but also the pace, the pace at which there is a new social, societal related topic that gets brought to the forefront for any brand is quite frankly nuts. It's one thing after another, and you've got to be thoughtful so that you're not replying to everything. And 
becoming white noise in the process. So making sure that that you make decisions about where you engage and where you take action in a way that is you can explain your why in any scenario to any stakeholder and you acknowledge that you don't have to respond to everything that's coming at you and that when you do it doesn't hold as much value as you do and so it loses sort of the weight behind it when it's the next and the next but staying true about what your core values are and and how those ladder back and is it your feeling that most companies now have a really strong understanding of their core values and what they imply in terms of you know actions that if they're going to be true let's go back to your word authentic to their values then they actually need to take a position i think it's hard still i yeah. think that they're when it comes to racial injustice, there's very clear lines for most brands. But when you get into things like Roe versus Wade and reproductive rights, it's a different ballgame for them. And it's something that most probably thought they would never have to debate at an executive table or within an HR and legal organization. Yeah, I mean, it, it is fascinating to me that you, you know, one ascends to the CEO's office and you think, okay, you know, my MBA is going to be really useful and the time I spend in finance is going to be really useful and I have a good grasp of the legal issues. And then suddenly you're confronted with societal expectations that nobody has training in this, right? When they get to be CEO, nobody knows what the expectations are going to be from one day to another. It has to be unnerving. And this can be a tool, I would think, to help CEOs understand and, and have a framework for decision-making, as well as giving them a, a vehicle for which they can explain and account for their decisions. 100%. So providing your executive team with the information and sort of the context of the issue at hand, step one is sort of that education piece. Step two is making sure you have that clear decision-making framework in place so that you can make fast informed decisions that stay true and you can explain why to an internal or an external stakeholder. Who do you find yourself reporting to mostly on this kind of work? Is it the CCO? Is it somebody in investor relations? Is it somebody, uh, dare I say it, higher up in the C-suite? It seems to be to be one of those things where it's, it's a multidisciplinary team, yeah. probably. But who's, who's leading all of this inside organizations mostly? It's absolutely multidisciplinary. If it is traditionally SG reporting, in many instances, IRs is tightly involved with that. But to your point about needing to tell a more fluid story along with that, your CMO, CCO, sort of your comms, your storyteller is really tightly involved with that. When it comes to social issues, your C-suite is where you are at because they're making decisions and Ultimately, they need to feel comfortable with what your brand's putting forward. And is there any attempt inside organizations with best practices to measure the impact of their ESG reporting, to get feedback, to understand whether what they do is really working? And what is the, you know, what is the metric here? How do you evaluate success? Yeah, I think for ESG itself, there are key metrics tied to the reporting itself. So the commitments that you're making as a brand, whether those be environmental, social, 
or otherwise. So there's those metrics that you're tracking. But then when you also look at your employee net promoter score, your brand net promoter score and things like that, ESG plays a big part of those. And so being able to make those correlations to track it, to ask questions and to capture that feedback is critical. So you're seeing more of that being brought together in sort of dashboards and more unique ways that are tied to those metrics for that specific brand. I've been a huge fan of net promoter score for years. I actually much rather it was called net relationship score so that we could make it yeah. totally obvious what the, the relationship between what we do, building mm-hmm. relationships and what that outcome looked like. But it's encouraging that companies see this as part of building their stakeholder relationships and, and, and can find ways mm-hmm. to, to measure it. You're doing this mostly in the B2B space are there unique challenges in that space that i mean you were talking about your data ai client earlier they have to face a different sort of barrier of of interest than a coca-cola or a unilever right i I think in some ways but it's also sort of the same has been the case for for b2b forever and always there's an assumed assumption of lack of creativity when really because the story is more complex your audience is are more layered and more complex. You've got to be more creative. And you've got to tell, you've got to take a really complex story and make it really simple for a unique audience. And that's where B2B marketers, communicators have always sat in that sweet spot. And ESG is another, is just another example of that. But more often than not, even B2B brands are speaking to consumers today as well. Any final advice for companies that are embarking on telling their ESG stories or any potential pitfalls that you think you have to still warn companies to to avoid? I'd say make sure that you understand your audiences that matter really well, whether those are your employees, your investor community, potential prospects, or future employees. It's, it's critical. And if you don't lead with what you know about them, you're going to end up right back at the beginning. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think one of the things that I don't hear enough about from public relations people generally is sort of customer focus. And that's a sad reflection, but understanding your audience rather than un- before you understand the story you want to tell. And that's great advice, I think. Wow. Interesting topic. One that I suspect will only become more essential over the next few years. We are not going to see any decline in interest in ESG activity. It was sustained, uh, no pun intended, throughout the pandemic. It'll be sustained over the next few years. And I think it's a source of competitive advantage. And, you know, my perspective, and I suspect yours, is that those companies that can tell the story in the most compelling way that really engage their stakeholders on this journey are going to have a big competitive advantage when it all plays out. So, Heather, thank you so much for joining us today. I had a great time. Thanks for having me. It's been great. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast from Provoke Media with production support from the strategic podcast consultancy 4DC. 